Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode on the Wall of Power Radio R. This is your host, Paul Metzen. I've been a little out of pocket doing a move from Minneapolis to Duluth, but we're firing up with a great new show tonight with a wonderful writer, author, and now he's a pro publicist, a fellow by the name of Martin Keller. Martin's got a great new book out called Space Pen Club, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. This guy's deep into the UFO thing. He has been for years. I was hip to him when he wrote for Sweet Potato in the late 70s and early 80s. He had a, a weekly column called The Martian Chronicles, and now he's finally written a book. Marty, how are you today? I'm good, Mr. Metza. How is uh, life in the, along the shores of Superior? It's uh, Kitschigumi has treated me well. It's a beautiful city. I'm excited to start doing some new shows with my great engineer, Brett Johnson, there at AM 950. A lot of cool people up here to talk to. I will be continuing my foray into cool people from all walks of life in all 50 states with the Paula Power Radio Hour. But no one better to talk to than you, Marty, because I know you've been into this UFO thing for 40-plus years. Let's start with the title, Space Fan Club. Where does that come from? Well, the Space Fan Club actually was a real club back in my college days at uh, St. John's University outside of St. Cloud, Minnesota, in Collegeville. And one of uh, my classmates discovered a Fisher space pen for sale in the college bookstore where he worked. He brought it back to the dorm to the dorm rooms and shared it among friends and it became at first something of a joke. But then they uh they started building events around it. We used to have two events a year, spring rites and peak with the leaves. It was kind of a tie tie dyed uh dead dead poet society, if right. you will. Uh, they, they turned the Fisher Space Pen Company's line of space pens into a symbolic icon. Now, the space pen was the first pen to write in space. It was invented by Paul Fisher. The company's still around. They still make space pens of all shapes and sizes. And I think to club members, it represented self-exploration, cosmic consciousness, and communication, Transcendence and the occasional quest for beer, girls, tunage, and controlled substances. Well, good. God bless you guys. <laughs> well, you know, it was back in the days of the of the of the, uh, the mid mid to late seventies. So, uh, well, in all seriousness, no, you know, the the founder Denny uh, Lynch uh, really thought that the space pen represented possibilities, and I think. In the world of this UFO UAP discussion, the possibilities and the implications of 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 uh, acknowledging these that these things are not only real but have been trying to interact with us presents presents us with with uh, many different possibilities going forward into the future. Well, Marty, I've got to congratulate you first of all on the publication of the book, because you've been writing this for many years now. You've, you and I have talked about it before. Yeah, I, you know, I started this book over 10 years ago, 
And originally, uh, I really didn't know what the book was about. And it took me about uh, 18 months or two years to really land on on what I wanted to say and what the main message of the book was. And then I set it aside at one point for two years for various uh, personal and professional reasons. And I picked it up again just in time for it to come out during this hyper period that we're in right now where virtually every media under the sun has started suddenly and surprisingly to take a very serious look at this, especially with this government report that just landed at the end of June. So it's been a fairly fortuitous process, all things considered. But yeah, a long time, uh, a long time in the making. You know, I wrote hijinks and hearsay, kind of in the middle of this book, and uh, did another book for a uh, for a client who wanted a personal, non-commercial memoir for family and friends. So you know, I wrote. Two books before I finish the Space Pen Club, but it's kind of a relief to have it done finally. Have you been in touch with any of your Space Pen Club buddies? Oh, yeah, they've uh, kind of come out of the woodwork with the publication of it, and uh, I'm now part of a weekly Space Pen Club Zoom meeting every Wednesday evening. Uh, The core group of core members of the Space Pen Club have really hung together through thick and thin, as they say, over the years. Uh, it's a pretty amazing story of friendship at that level. But, you know, at the at the level uh, that I appro- have appropriated the whole club concept, it's, it works on many different, uh, different levels. Well, I hope to God you've got T-shirts, because the book cover is phenomenal. Yeah, thank you. My editor, Gary Lindbergh at Calumet Editions, uh, did a terrific job on it. I, I pretty much art directed him, and he, he nailed it right down right down to every last detail. So kudos to him. Great job uh, on, on the uh, overall look of the book. Uh, and we'll mention it again before the show's over, Marty. But how can people order uh, the Space Pen Club? The way is just to go to that big uh, retail operation in the virtual universe, Amazon.com. It's there. If you do buy a book and read it and you like it, or even if you don't like it, you can write a verified uh, review of the book. That helps drive the the algorithm on it and uh, hopefully more visibility for it. Give us uh, in a few minutes before the first break, Martin Keller, give us the general gist of the book. Well, the book is really about my lifelong interest in the UFO subject. I had a uh, sighting with friends in high school in western North Dakota in the uh, late 60s during a week in which there were numerous UFO sightings reported in the newspaper, on the radio, on television. Uh, there was one incident outside my high school, witnessed with three other friends, uh, where we saw a white object uh, about a half mile down the road. Our high school was kind of on the edge of town at that point, and it just seemed to hover out there for, for I don't know how long. Uh, we were outside without our coats on. It was 20 below zero. It was halftime during a varsity high school basketball game. And 
The second incident, which was a little more disturbing, was with uh, my best friend Jim and I, J.R., also known as Zod in the book. Uh, we encountered an object that that uh, intruded on us as we were walking through Rocky Butte Park on the way to a student council meeting one night. It seemed to come right off the top of the butte and just hung about 10 feet from us. Wow. It was studying us. I mean, it scared the hell out of us, <laughs> obviously, at first. So, you know, there were those incidents in high school. Jim and I used to religiously read the UFO trade rags, such as they were and are, um, every weekend at the at the local drugstore. And, uh, but once I got to college, I didn't really think about it for a long time until the early 90s when I was introduced to Dr. Stephen Greer, who founded the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, otherwise known as C-SETI. And I, I, I met Greer as a, as a freelance journalist. A um, mutual friend said he, he was looking for someone to write about his theories on Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, which we can talk more about. It's really just human-initiated contact. And uh, Greer, you know, was a, a medical doctor by training and, and ran an emergency room. Uh, he was the main, uh, I forget the official title he had, but he, he was pretty much in charge of the emergency room and was hands-on and all of that. But I came at it as a journalist, and I ended up going to the other side of the desk and became his publicist for about five or six years through the 90s. And we we had quite a few adventures, including one in Mexico we can talk about later with the CBS News crew from 48 Hours. But uh, I learned quite a bit from Greer. Uh, it was a very interesting time in my life. But six months prior to meeting him, a bunch of weird stuff started in our house with lights that would come on in the middle of the night. Let hold on to that. Let's uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna get to break. Uh, play a little UFO uh, related music. We've got Martin Keller on, author of a great new book called Space Pen Club: Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. This is your host Paul Metz. I want to tell everybody it's good to be back again on AM 950. We've got Mr. Keller on for the whole show tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. My guest for the whole show tonight, Mr. Martin Keller, author of a great new book called Space Fan Club, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, UFO Disclosures, Consciousness, and Other Mind Zoomers. Marty, Mind Zoomers, what the hell does that mean? Well, that was a euphemism uh, taken from the Space Pen, the real Space Pen Club back in Collegeville, Minnesota. Uh, 
a mind zoomer was just something that uh, expanded your consciousness back then, and there are any number of things that did that, as you can well imagine. I've heard uh, those stories. Everything from uh, lysergic acid to uh, hatha yoga, and all points in between. But uh, well, and, rhetorically, and though, a mind zoomer really, uh, you know, is is anything that that really expands one's consciousness about this. Uh, what I consider a very strange and unrevealed universe that we live in. Well, and let's talk about what you'd mentioned at the end of the first set, Mr. Keller, about an experience in your actual home. Yeah, six months prior to meeting uh, Dr. Greer at C-SETI, uh, some strange, high strangeness started to occur, occur in the house that I was sharing with Susan, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife of some 27 years. And uh, it started... I think really with a series of dreams I started having, <clears throat> excuse me, at least I think they were dreams, but then um, things started to visibly manifest in the house, including lights coming on that we both had thought we'd each turned out before turning in that night. And this, this went on for a couple of weeks. And then one night in particular, I woke up, the lights were on, but now there was there was a sound of like cat running, you know, like a very strange animal sound, and I could hear our what I thought were uh, the nails of our two bearded collies on the hardwood floors downstairs, prancing on the floors or something. I mean, it was it was pretty odd. Uh, after that, I started having a series of, of what I like to call newspaper dreams. I, I would dream that the newspaper was on the front porch and I was reading the stories of the day before I was even awake and then my you know, my ego state would shut that down, going, No, you can't do that. The paper's not even here yet, dude. But right. I had like twenty to thirty of these dreams and it almost seemed like it was instructive. I mean, it was very, it was a very strange thing. I didn't know what to make of it at first. I thought, eh, my mental health is is falling off the cliff. But that culminated <clears throat> with a dream after these newspaper dreams, where I was standing in a harbor city. I didn't realize, didn't really know where it was, and I all of a sudden I saw a smoking pier down in the water, you know, a collapsed pier with some pieces sticking out that were smoldering. And then a flying school bus came through through the Bay Area. Well, that was in May. In July, about six weeks later, I was, traveled with my parents <clears throat> to uh, attend a weekend of uh, Boston Red Sox baseball games against the Twins. Because my dad was a lifelong Bosox fan and had never been to the Green Monster, so he had to go there and pay homage. And I was I was walking over to meet them our first day uh, in Boston, and I stopped on a footbridge and I went, "Wait a minute, this is a, this is the exact harbor view I had in Minneapolis, sound asleep in my bed." Wow. Six weeks ago, and I looked down at the pier. The pier was there, but the tide was in, so all of the all of the uh, the pier pieces were were covered, and there was no uh, flying school bus, obviously. But uh, it was pretty strange. In the book, I described uh, my reaction to that, and it's it gets fairly philosophical. But uh, from uh, that point on, it was un 
on to the races, and uh, I met Dr. Stephen Greer about a month later, and he started talking about the non-locality of consciousness and how that would explain, in part, what my dream was about. In other words, you can your awareness can be in in two different locations simultaneously, and that was part of the um, somewhat complicated process he uses to what he calls vector in. Uh, space-faring objects or UFOs using the tenets of non-locality of consciousness. It's, it's reminding a, it's a, me. Oh, it reminding me of the fire sign theater bit. How can you be two places at once when you're nowhere at all? <laughs> I remember that bit. That those guys were. They didn't miss much, and and that's uh, that's that's a good counterpoint to the, what is otherwise a pretty. <laughs> serious deep dive on on the whole realm of consciousness discussion here that we're having now martin keller so you've been with uh, your lovely wife susan who i've had the pleasure to know over the years you're telling you i'm sure you're describing these dreams your experiences does she think you're completely insane at this point <laughs> you know we uh we kind of went our 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 mutual ways through this um there was a there was another incident once i'd started writing the the stephen greer c seti story in the fall i had just come back from a conference where he was speaking along with a bunch of other professionals like him including dr brian o'leary who was slated for the mars mission back in the day when nasa was had all the ambitions that now all these billionaire businessmen have and wanting to explore space on their own dime. Uh, the Mars mission was scrubbed, but Brian O'Leary was was at this conference along with some other folks. And I had gotten back from this. I'd done a bunch of interviews about Greer and related subjects on the UFO issue and the consciousness issue. And at 4.03 in the morning, the evening that I got returned from Colorado from that event, there were five little cherry bomb type orbs, not unlike the one Jim and I saw in the park right in the bedroom. And that freaked the hell out of me. Uh, two were at the foot of the bed. A third one was off to the side of those. Another one was closer to me on the left. And the fifth one that was closest to me to my head anyway, seemed to be inside and outside of the room simultaneously. And that's when I kind of flipped out and I went, oh my God, what's going on here? I looked at the clock again to make sure, in fact, that I was awake and it was still 4.03. And now the two that were at the foot of the bed were were moving in sync, only in opposite directions, and then I just blacked out. But I had some physical side effects, some mental, and I, I almost think spiritual side effects three days after that. I felt like all my willpower had been sucked out of me. There was there was some residual, like, flaring of my crown chakra where, you know, I felt uh, like they would it would shiver up there for four or five times throughout the day. It eventually diminished. I called this guy in Canada that I knew... Uh, Howard Schachter, who was a transpersonal psychologist and a member of CSETI, and I had described what happened, and he got very excited. He went, oh, they put their 
they put their technology in your crown chakra, and I and I. Oh said, no. what, do you, what do you what do you mean they? What are you talking about? Right, who's they? Well, you know, I I have my own euphemism euphemism for uh, who they might be. I I just start chauvinistically and sort of humorously referring to them as the boys upstairs. Wow. <laughs> so H- Howard was convinced the boys upstairs had. Uh, perform something at, at the top of my skull but uh, there's a whole chapter that that looks at at that chapter three psychotronic nightmares and the alien abduction blues yeah it's a question mark because i did a lot of research onto the in this area and i discovered uh somewhat dismayingly that um not only can these types of experiences be hoaxed or manufactured, but people will believe it's an actual alien-type event. And I think one of the great mysteries in the book is me trying to figure out, was this a real uh, E.T. UFO-styled, you know, maybe abduction-type event, or was it some sort of manufactured PSYOP event? And, it, you know, it... It, it's the deepest rabbit hole in the book, and if and if you make it through chapter three, it's pretty smooth sailing from there because this raises a lot of disturbing issues about uh, the fact that we have uh, programs like MK Ultra. I bet you probably remember that from the late seventies when the CIA got busted for dosing uh, military men and women with these behavior modification programs that use yeah. acid and. And other uh, opiates, and and uh, uh, some of the research I did said that the, this uh, ability to manufacture these experiences uh, were all part of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the MK Ultra, and subsequently the Artichoke behavior modification program. So there's a lot there. It's one of the mysteries that I still haven't really unraveled. It kind of just flows through the book, and and it. And it uh, remains one of the large question marks in my my life on the planet to date. Well, then you you know it brings to mind the uh, the experiments that uh, author Ken Kesey and lyricist lyricist for the Grits led Robert Hunter went through in the late fifties and early sixties with uh, CIA controlled uh, psychedelic experiments with mescaline and LSD. On those men to see the effects. Well, at at, uh, the start of the summer of love, I don't think they they meant to do that. But then, uh, reminding me of of these stories of the UFOs in your cerebral cortex, uh, that great Lenny Bruce line: "Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not following you." (laughs) We've got uh, we've got Marty Keller on, author of the Space Fan Club: Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, UFO Disclosures, Consciousness and other mind zoomers for the whole show. Stick around, we'll hear a little music and uh, be back in just a bit.
Welcome back to the third set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Mesa. My guest for the whole show tonight, author Martin Keller. Written a great book that just came out called Space Men Club, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, UFO Disclosures, Consciousness, and Other Mind Zoomers. Marty, now you talk a lot about, you were mentioning in the end of the last segment, these manufactured experiences. And of course we know uh, over the years, for as long as most of us have been aware and following any version of the UFO experience, that there is a lot of hoaxes. So how do you address that in your book? Well, I read quite a bit of literature and research uh, as I wrote the book. I, I'm still reading now, even after, even though I've finished with it. Uh, it's a topic that just doesn't really want to go away. I, I think you have to be very discerning, and, and uh, you know, there's not a lot of discernment in some some camps of the UFO ghetto, as Dr. Greer used to like to call it, mostly to set himself apart from the rest of the rabble, but, you know, at the end of the day, we were all part of that ghetto. Um, that was That's one of the takeaways in the book. Uh, that said... Um, in, I think that's why the public has gotten so... The public, I think, is tantalized by this subject, but they're also turned off by it because it's so it's so hard to know what's real and what's not. You know, like there's a section in the book that talks about the, the crop circles in England, but, the, you know, they're also prevalent elsewhere around the world. And uh, with the technology that we have today, it's pretty easy to hoax videos or or... Uh, Photoshop images and embellish or or reduce images to to what look like the real thing. So, you know, that's a very good question, and and I don't think I have a solid answer for it, other than to really exercise discernment and judgment when you start uh, looking at videos. And there's millions of them on on YouTube, obviously, and there's lots of websites you can visit. I mean, I think. I think you have to trust your instincts, but you also, I, th I think you need to trust the the, uh, the people who have uh, done the work on in this field and, and have written smartly about it. I mean, Dr. Greer, obviously, for one, but uh, John Mack from Harvard, who was almost lost his Harvard tenureship because he was investigating alleged abductees and had written a book about it. Uh, I had a a few encounters with with Dr. Mack at different UFO events. Probably one of the more brilliant people I've met uh, ever met, and also very inquisitive about uh, related uh, phenomena. Uh, so use your discernment. Um, make sure the research is sound, and watch the skies. Now, Marty. Uh... We have a very good mutual friend. I consider him the greatest rock and roll singer in the world. Who speaks quite openly about being abducted. Did you, did you talk to our friend Curtis about that? And if so, Curtis, like a, yes, the great and wonderful Curtis Olmstead. Uh, Kurt and I have pretty much bonded over this subject for the last fifteen years or so, and he's featured in the book. There's a wonderful photograph of him reading the uh, World Weekly News with a, with one of those fake UFO news stories in it. 
taken by Bonnie Butler Brown and um Kurt's story's pretty d- disturbing. Uh I think he had some kind of an an experience that you know has stayed with him and shaped his world view. Um he had had it not only once but twice in the same weekend and I go into pretty good deep detail about Kurt's story. Tell us yeah. about it. Good to tell us now. <laughs> well, well, the short end is he was coming home from a gig on the final day of Woodstock in upstate New York, but they were playing a gig somewhere in Wisconsin, and they pulled in around dawn to uh, I forget, the little town in Wisconsin where they were all living together in an old rented schoolhouse. And um, as they were getting out of the car, they noticed these objects in the sky kurt describes them as inflated dimes and and then he said they uh, started to pulsate red and then he says i blacked out and he says i think everyone else blacked out and they had some missing time um he woke up and uh he woke up he remembers becoming conscious again i, I don't want to say he woke up he became conscious again and he saw them take shoot off into the sky they all went into the to their beds and went to went to sleep because they didn't really know how to process this and uh, two of the guys left later that day and then kurt went back out the following day to relieve himself in a ditch because the outhouse they were using was full of a wasp's nest and as he's getting ready to to do so, he noticed uh, another object in the sky over him. And I think he said he got a really strong headache after that. And he saw this thing take off. And he said he felt like it was it was back to remind him, like, yeah, buddy, you're on our list now. So it's a wow. pretty interesting story, pretty disturbing story. But, you know, Kurt was also... And I point this out in the book, you know, for people who are incredulous that there, you know, there might be manufactured abduction experiences. But, uh, you know, the federal, the, the government does pull stuff like this all the time, the Tuskegee syphilis experiments on uh, mostly poor and uh, people of color in Alabama. That's probably the most famous case where uh, these black folks including some veterans thought they were being treated for syphilis when they were in fact being studied for its long-term effects over 40 years and it's just a hugely scandalous horrendous chapter in in the never-ending story of racism in america but kurt as a kid uh experienced a biological warfare simulation test at saint stephen's school in South Minneapolis, where a combination of zinc and cadmium sulfide were sprayed in into the classroom, and these types of tests, uh, there were over a hundred of these tests done between 1952 and 1969, including, according to a Chicago Tribune story in 1994, that was subsequently blown up into some TV reporting. So, I mean, this kind of nefarious stuff that we just, you know, 
most people don't think t- twice about it because they don't think once about it. Uh, this stuff seems to take place all the time, and uh, it's reprehensible, but uh, it's unfortunately spilled over into the UFO world as well. We've got Martin Keller on the wall of Power Radio Hour for the whole show tonight. Fascinating book we're talking about. Space Pen Club, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, UFO Disclosures, Consciousness, and Other Mind Zoomers. We've got one more set with Mr. Keller. We'll play a little music, a couple ads, and we'll be back and see if Marty can sum it up in 10 minutes or so what the hell we've just been talking about. Thanks for listening to Wall Power Radio R. This is your host, Paul Metza. Woke up this morning with light in my eyes And then realized it was still dark outside It was a light coming down from the sky I don't know who or why Must be those strangers that come every night Those saucer-shaped lights put people up tight Blue-green footprints that glow in the dark I hope they get home all right Hey, Mr. Spaceman Won't you please take me along Welcome back to the last set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is a new show. We've been uh, out of circulation for a while, but we're back in. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest, Marty Keller, uh, great music journalist over the years in the Twin Cities, author of the current book that just came out, Space Pen Club, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, UFO Disclosures, Consciousness, and Other Mind Zoomers. Marty, give us a little bit about what the government recently came out with about their uh, investigation into the world of UFOs and aliens? Well, this report that came from uh, the Pentagon and the Director of uh, Intelligence Services landed on June 25th. There was huge, huge buildup in the press, broadcast online and newspapers virtually around the world. It was horribly disappointing The the whole report was only nine pages long. There is, however, a classified section that reportedly is uh, 70-some pages with uh, classified videos and different case studies. But the the report it, itself really didn't reveal anything. It said they didn't have enough information. They didn't have enough data to make any, any firm conclusions. Uh, they never ruled out the extraterrestrial... Uh, possibility, but they, uh, it, I think, for anyone that was expecting this would be a real disclosure, it was a, it was a terrible letdown, um, and it was historically inaccurate, and I think really disingenuous, disingenuous in that they say in the report that the U, the Air Force data collection has been limited historically to a six-month pilot program that started in November of 2020 to collect this type of data, which is just patently not true. That's on page 7. The Air Force has been looking at this since the 40s with at least three different known uh, projects, Project Sign and, and Grudge, that 
1949, and then Project Blue Book that ran from the late 40s to 1968. And it, you know, to make statements like that with without being called out, I mean, it's just irresponsible. Um, you know, the the Pentagon ad- admitted in 1947 that UFOs were were quote not of this world that was 74 years ago in a classified 47 memo that general nathan twining sent around which was later released under the freedom of information act and twining uh, said that the phenomenon reported is something real and not visionary or fictitious and he went on to describe the extreme rates of climb and other characteristics that previously that precisely match the recorded capabilities of the objects in uh, those recently related naval footage, the the Tic Tac footage, as everyone has been calling them. I think they look like uh, Tic Tac videos. They're really yeah. poor quality. They're inf- they're shot on infrared cameras on on naval planes, and so the whole thing I I think was was an embarrassment yet again, and uh, there's supposedly going to be another update on it, but I'm not holding my breath for it. Marty, we just got a few minutes left. So this has been, you know, uh, your entire adult life, a passion of yours. You've had personal experiences, close encounters of the fifth kind. How could you? And then, of course, there's the history of Native Americans and how their experiences with this type of UFO phenomena. How would you describe it? How Give us a sense of reality. You're, you're a well-grounded guy. You're a father of three or four kids, and uh, you work hard every day. Uh, does this stuff exist, and where the hell is it from? Well, it it definitely exists, and and that's the big question: Where are they from? How do they get here? Uh, a lot of those narrative rhetorical questions are explored in the book. You know, there's a there's a ton of UFO books you can read. Uh, there's no end of of titles in in this genre. The entertainment industry embraced this since the 40s as as a plot lines for good, bad, and ugly movies on topic. Uh, but I don't think anyone's written a book like mine in that it goes inside the UFO subculture. We meet a lot of the researchers. There's uh, there's uh, several discussions that I shared with Dr. Ed Mitchell, the Apollo, uh, I think he was 12, Apollo 12 astronaut, six man to walk on the moon. So, uh, you know, I idolized astronauts as a kid, and, and now I'm, uh, you know, at this point in my life in the 90s, I'm rubbing elbows with guys like like Ed Mitchell and uh, uh, also meeting uh, some other astronauts from the from the uh, Apollo program. So it's, uh, I think what makes us different is we get to meet some of the characters in, in the UFO world. Uh, we meet some of the debunkers. We meet one or two flakes. Can't have a UFO book without some flakage in it. Right. And uh, there's also a whole chapter set on an Indian reservation near Yankton, South Dakota, the first Star Knowledge Conference that I went to, and I actually ended up giving Dr. Greer's speech that, that weekend because he couldn't make that, that particular conference. So 
the native perspective is shared in that chapter. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm hearing that it's a good read I, from people who have, uh, have since published, purchased it and read it. And uh, I've kind of lost all perspective on it after working hard on it for 10 years. But I'd, uh, I'd welcome opinions. I'm blogging about it regularly, weekly, on the SpacePenClub.com website. And there's also some good breakdowns of the book on that site. So check it out. Well, Marty, I want to thank you for your time tonight. Uh, I want to personally congratulate you because I've known – uh, you long enough to know this is a, a personal, uh, not only avenue of interest for you, but a borderline obsession. I can't read to re- uh, read the rest of the book, Space Ben Club, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, UFO Disclosures, Consciousness, and Other Mind Zoomers. Marty, I wish you the best. I want to encourage all my listeners to go out and get the book, support your local authors, support your local aliens. Have a wonderful day, brother, and I'll see you next time I'm back in Minneapolis. All right. Thanks for the airspace. Talk to you, Marty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler, back on the air after a brief respite, moving from Minneapolis to Duluth. But uh, we're going to keep going with these fascinating shows. We'd like to thank our guest, author Martin Keller, author of Space Men Club, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, UFO Disclosures, Consciousness, and Other Mind Zoomers. Track it down on Amazon.com. We'd like to thank one of our great sponsors, Eden Prairie School of Rock. You can follow me at paulmensa.com as I start my new life up in the Northland. A lot of interesting people to talk to up here, and I'm still connected with people around the country. So stay tuned to the Wall of Power Radio Hour every week at 6 p.m. on Saturday nights on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. In the time before the fire.